Okay, welcome to the show. This is episode two of Imposter Syndrome, a golf podcast. I'm your host, Todd Howe, purveyor of custom golf clubs at Encino Golf Lab in Los Angeles, California. And with me is my co-host and resident alien conspiracy theorist, (laughs) Mr. Sean Fagan. How are you, my man? I am doing great, Todd. How are you? I'm doing real good. I'm uh, recovering from a lurgy. So uh, second weekend of... uh, of 2024 and no golf a lot of that going around it really is it really is but i'm on the mend uh i definitely have my radio voice on today Um, sounds great i love it makes my life a lot easier (laughs) and we finally got up on apple podcasts so uh yeah welcome to everyone listening on apple podcasts we famous Uh, now we made it here's to many many more Look, uh, we were meant to talk about one thing last week. We didn't talk about uh, we didn't talk about it last week. Mister Fitter to the stars, uh, you fit someone incredibly famous who, unfortunately, we cannot name. Tell us a bit more about it. Yeah, you know, it's a <clears throat> it's an interesting part of my job because I fit golf clubs in Beverly Hills, and golf is this weird connector from all walks of life at every different level. You know, there's some days where I'll literally fit the janitor and the CEO of the same company, and they might never know that they both cross paths in the same store. And yet I work with people at every level from every walk of life from countries all around the world, you know, whether it's the the latest Hall of Fame athlete or, you know, an A-list celebrity and everyone in between. Sometimes you kind of look in front of you at the fitting bay and you go, hmm, that's kind of uh, an interesting uh, an interesting wrinkle in the day. And it kind of goes into just the title of the podcast, right? Imposter syndrome. It's not just necessarily about playing golf at a higher level and believing in yourself, but sometimes it's also like looking at the person who's coming to you for advice and thinking, wow, they're really coming to me for the advice. And at the beginning, it was a little overwhelming. And at this point, you know, it is a human to human, person to person interaction um, about something we both mutually love. And that's just the ultimate icebreaker. And sure, five years ago, when that sort of thing started happening in my life, it was a little bit of a pinch me moment. And holy cow, this is like wild. This is happening. I can't believe this is what's going on. And I'm part of this universe now, but you know, now it's just a fun perk of my job. And, um, I think when you're dialed into that level of just society, I guess, for lack of a better word, you just take your responsibility even greater because you know, the louder the megaphone is of the person's voice, you know, either singing your praises or critiquing you, um, more and more skin is in on the line in the game, right? And as long yeah. as long as you know what you're talking about and you take your job really seriously, all of that is only going to help you in the long run. And that's kind of uh, you know, like I said, a really cool perk of of my job specifically. And you know, the location has a lot to do with it. I mean, anyone else in my role would be doing most of the same things anyway. You know, what was he like? I mean, yeah. I mean, what was, what was his handicap? What did you fit him for? Like, sure, sure. Like, give me so, a little bit. A-list, A-list um, movie star, okay? Uh, yeah. It's been around for a long time. Around my age, you know, which makes it a little bit easier because sometimes you'll fit someone who's famous that you might not necessarily have a lot in common with. Um, in this case, I, I felt like we were around the same age, grew up in the same era, you know, have a lot of common interests. And it was a lot of fun just to kind of meet someone that, you know, you could kind of look at and sure they lived a different life than you to this point by uh, every stretch of the imagination. But um, there's still a commonality there. And he was a good athlete, you know, hit the ball really well, got him into some Titleist Woods, um, got him into some Mura Irons. Uh, shout out to Mura and 8am golf for hooking it up there. And it was, uh, wow. it was just a lot of fun. So yeah. 
Yeah, well, look, I bet he's got one hell of a nice country club uh, for those irons. Look, thanks to everyone for listening to episode one. Um, we had an absolute blast. We're honestly just finding our feet to this point, but uh, we got a lot coming up today. Here's what's coming up on the episode. Sean's going to be talking about new equipment that has landed in his fitting matrix just in the last week, since last week's episode. Um, we'll be talking about our own golf goals for 2024. Uh, we're going to be doing a what's in our bags, um, which we talked about last week, but when we played it back, we realized we'd talked for way too long and had to cut a bunch of stuff out. And, uh, <laughs> what's in our bags didn't Guilty seem as so attractive. <laughs> I also want to correct a mistake from episode one. Look, these things happen. We're not perfect. We make aces, but uh, we don't always uh, get everything right. Akshay Bhatia was actually playing the jailbird, not the lab mez. Um, I think I got him confused with Ben Arn, uh, who was using the lab mez. Uh, they're both using the long putters, but uh, Akshay's yeah. a lefty though, and he's a little Akshay bit skinnier. Akshay is a lefty. Yeah, he's uh, boy, not a lot of meat on that bone. Um, last week you asked me a rapid fire question. And I just could not answer it. I needed to think about it a little bit more. You said, what's my favorite place that I've ever been to in the world? And I'm going to go with Japan. Um, mm. Just everything about it. And a lot of it was the fact that uh, I was over there touring, playing music, and we got treated like gods. So that helped. That really helped. I bet. <laughs> but Japan is just one hell of a beautiful country. Yeah, I would love to go. I was supposed to go uh, once, and unfortunately, the Fukushima disaster happened about a month before our trip, so we uh, changed everything up and went to Italy and had an amazing time, but Japan certainly won on the on the short list for future international trips. You got to go. I would love to play Hirono. Um, probably impossible to get onto, and it's on my bucket list. It's in my mm -hmm. top five. I got a couple pretty interesting golf connects around Asia, which would be really hard to track down. But um, Japan being one of them, uh, I have a couple friends over there that uh, have offered me an opportunity to play, and it's just a matter of getting to to the island. It's gonna happen. Yeah, it's gonna sure. happen. Um, also, last week we talked about. Uh, well, we both agreed that Tiger Woods' victory at the 2008 U.S. Open at Torrey Pines was both our favorite major tournament of all time. I probably watch that once a month. Um, hmm. you can, yeah, on YouTube, you can. Uh, there's a video every shot uh, of Tiger Woods at the 2008 U.S. Open, and uh, I, I was sick this week, but I. I was looking for some some more Tiger Woods to consume, and I came across his uh, 2018 Tour Championship performance. Crazy. I remember that very well. I hadn't seen it, right? And uh, I came across it, and my God. he uh, First two rounds, he's obviously co-leading after round one and co-leading after round two. Um, but watching those two rounds, he's scrambling by Tiger standards. You know, scrambling by Tiger standards is a couple under. Um, and then the front nine of round three, he just goes on a vintage Tiger exhibition, and it was just phenomenal. So if you haven't seen it, um, look up uh, every shot of Tiger Woods from the 2018 Tour Championship, and uh, God, you can fast forward to round three if you like, but the whole thing is just phenomenal. It's vintage Tiger. Um, you know, he obviously went on to win, uh, win the masters after that, um, and get to his 82nd PGA tour victory. I'm just, I'm looking at this graph here of Tiger Woods. He's six under through seven holes in the third round. Like <laughs> just go and do yourself a favor and, and watch round three at the 2018 tour championship. It's just phenomenal. And then after that, he went on to, uh, to round four and it was the first time that uh, Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy were in the final grouping of a, of a tournament. Yeah. Those things happen. Those things happen so much more rarely than, you know, this, the journalists would want, you know, I mean, I remember yeah. Tiger and Phil played that one round on Sunday at Augusta, I think it was. And 
you know, Tiger played kind of bad, uh, relatively speaking, from what I remember. And it just, I don't think Phil played great either. Then again, I could be mistaken because I have a terrible memory when it comes to these things. But I remember they showed it and it didn't really live up to the hype where they started showing, you know, the other players who actually had a chance at winning the tournament. But, you know, CBS and Jim Nance are pushing for it so hard. And like these things only happen a handful of times sometimes. Yeah. Um, weekly recap. So it's been a, there's a lot been going on. I mean, January is a busy month in golf. Like even though, uh, the, the pros are off hobnobbing in, uh, in Hawaii, uh, enjoying the weather, but, uh, the Genesis invites have gone out. So the field has been announced there. Uh, Genesis is actually going to be here at Riviera on the 15th of February. Um, look at my hat. Well, you can't if you're watching the podcast, but if you were, you'd notice that I was wearing a Melbourne hat. Um, a lot of talk still going on about Melbourne. Uh, LPGA world number eight, Charlie Hull signs with Melbourne. I think that's just phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, again, this is just going to be the beginning of a an evolution in what people are wearing around the golf courses because like I kind of touched on earlier, it's kind of my belief that golf has almost become too easy at this highest level. So the players probably feel such confidence that they can kind of just, you know, stray from the traditions and focus on their individuality, which is where a lot of these players, let's be real, make all of their money right off the golf course. And if you can endorse different brands and, you know, show off your personality even further, it can only make you more marketable. And I think we're going to start seeing more and more of this. And Charlie and Jason, that's a that's a pretty good looking pairing to uh, debut, you know, a, a designer on the PGA and LPGA tour. Absolutely. And, and you know, Charlie and Jason Day, also uh, uh, Jesper Panovic um, and Young and Lee uh, sporting Melbourne as well. Um, these no laying up guys have been, uh, talking about it on social media. They don't, they don't like it. <laughs> Stephen Albon's been responding directly on their social media platform, but uh, look, golf is changing and there are some incredible golf brands out there. I mean, look, Metalwood, Municipal, Public Trip, Bogey Boys, Students, Buenayente, Devereaux, Walker Golf of Things. B-Dratty. From Australia. Yeah. Look, there are there are so many just fantastic golf clothing brands out there now, and I'm glad extracurricular. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, those guys have got to deal with it. The haters got to deal with it. I mean, I'm very white bread when it comes to on course style, right? Like, I wear Peter Millar, I wear Grayson, I wear Lululemon, right? Minwoo Lee's new deal with Lululemon is exciting for me because maybe they'll have even more golf specific clothing. But we all have different shapes and sizes and fits, and we have to find brands that actually fit, you know, our bodies in order to look the best. And if you look good and you play good on the course, that's just a bonus. But, um, you know, you have to find what works for you. Like if I'm wearing Steven's stuff out there, like I'm going to look like a fool. I'm going to be a real imposter, you know, wearing stuff like that. Cause I just don't necessarily personally connect with the street golf, you know, style. That's not really my style. I'm, I'm Polo Ralph Lauren and not RLX, but you know, Grayson for sure. And, and, you know, things that kind of fit me and are kind of sleek, modern, and a little more traditional at the same time. I'll let you wear some of my clothes. <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> I've seen how you dress out on the golf course. That don't work for me, dude. <laughs> uh, boy, I couldn't wear, I couldn't wear the skin-tight stuff either. So, <laughs> No one wants to see that. Well, look, the PGA Tour is still in Hawaii. Sony Open this week, this weekend, just gone. Um, wow. Look, it just gave. It just gave Grayson Murray winning in a uh, three-man playoff against Ben Arn and Keegan Bradley. It was the uh, the first, obviously, the first playoff of the 2024 season. Um, but look, just quick recap: Grayson Murray uh, birdieing the 18th hole in regulation play uh, to join Keegan Bradley and Ben Arn at uh, in the three-man playoff at 17 under. Um, it didn't look like Murray stood a chance on that uh, one and only playoff hole. Um, their tee shots, Ben Arn hits uh, hits his ball into the short rough. 
uh, Keegan Bradley just steps up and absolutely pipes it into the middle of the fairway. Um, and he's, he's in the box seat. And uh, Grayson Murray, uh, obviously, he's a natural fader of the ball. Just uh, he uh, pulls his ball off the trees into the, into the deep left rough and uh, has to punch out. Yeah, Murray punches out. Uh, he's on the fairway. Ben Ann uh, leaves his approach short and right in the little ditch. And then Keegan Bradley pulls his ball way left into the, uh, into the stands. Um, and guess what happens? Free he, relief. Right got free relief. Got to love that free relief. Oh, boy. Free relief. Uh, that's an interesting one. That's maybe a topic for another time. But, uh, but yeah, so Grayson Murray is uh, – he puts his ball to 40 feet. Um, Keegan Bradley to 20 feet. And Ben Arn chips it up to four feet. Um, Murray's up first. Sinks a putt that no one could sink from uh, from that direction pretty much all day. And uh, he's in with a birdie. Keegan Bradley misses. And then Ben Allen's up to putt and misses the four-footer. And it's all Grayson Murray's tournament. He's got that dog I, in him. He does. I mean, look, you know, probably know more about his backstory than I do to be honest with you, but, uh, man, what a gutsy performance and coming back from such a dark spot in his life. Yeah. Like you said, right. I mean, he won back in the day, went through a dark period in his life. Um, and again, like, it's not like I was there for the PGA tour players meeting with him and Rory, you know, barking at each other. That must've been kind of an interesting moment when Rory said, shut up, Grace, and just play better. And Grayson, you know, told him to, to whatever off and, you know, he wins, you know, a couple months later, that's a really cool story. And I think it kind of brings up the idea, you know, you mentioned Xander last week, how he's always in contention and doesn't seem to always close it. Well, there's an awful lot of other golfers, you know, at every level who aren't always in that position of contention, but when they get there, they do have this innate ability to close. And, you know, it's, especially when you're kind of, you know, I mean, it's not like he didn't play at a high level in college. He played at Wake Forest. He went to ASU, I believe, and maybe one other spot along the journey. And, you know, he won, you know, well before and early in his, in his career. I mean, the dude's a hoss. He's like six, one, 200 pounds, just looks like, you know, a, a stack of meat out there, just pounding the golf ball with these, you know, rocket fades, you know, just a tough SOB. And, you know, he proved it. He was able to, you know, close when he had the chance. And, you know, yeah. it's rare for some of these players to get to that moment. And some just want the ball, you know, and others kind of aren't always sure if they belong there. And I think that's one of the advantages. I don't want to necessarily call him a journeyman, but you could argue he's certainly on the lower end of that top 125 on tour as far as marketability and all that. I know he's a hot hot ticket on Twitter or whatever, or X now as they call it. But, um, you know, like he's gotten a chance to win and he's won. And, you know, a 38-foot putt, there's a little luck involved there. I'm sure any tour player would suggest there might be a little luck there. But, you know, some guys just have that innate ability to make putts when it really matters. Yeah. And look, you know, I think the gutsier, the gutsier shot was uh, his approach in regulation play where from 80, 80 yards out um, to that pin on the right-hand side, he, he shoved it to three feet and sunk the putt to get into the playoff. That's just phenomenal. Yeah, for sure. Really well done and uh, just so so deserved. Um, Willie Z, Will Zalatoris is back. He made his first start since March 2023. Um, when he had to pull out of the Masters. Um, he's back. Look, he's got a long way to go, I'm sure, but it's good to see him back. He missed the cut at, at five over, you know, for, for the two rounds on Thursday, Friday. Again, Gary Woodland, he's back after uh, being out for equally as long he, after undergoing surgery on a brain lesion. He missed the cut by one, um, but it's just great to have these guys back on tour. I think it kind of shows you like when you're an elite golfer, you know, you have no matter what gets thrown your way, you kind of still have it. You know, I remember like JB Holmes had brain surgery, right? And he was like back on the PGA tour a couple of years later and he, I believe he won. And it's like, yeah, I mean, anyone 
who isn't an elite golfer, like you're going to struggle to do anything at the high level after going through trauma like that. You know, I mean, I don't know people personally who go through a horrible trauma like that and yet get right back to where they were at the top of their game, you know, figuratively or literally. And these golfers can just like, you know, go through all kinds of stuff and yet they still have it. And that's where, you know, I just believe anyone at that elite level you know, you give them a chance, they got 30 or 40 years potentially to compete and win. And that's why you never want to give up on, you know, any of these great players. I mean, people say Rory's never going to win a major again. It's like the dude's what, 34 years old. Like he's going to play at a high level for 20 more years. He's going to have 80 major, 80 majors potentially to, to win a, at least one or two more. That type of elite level game doesn't seem to go away. You know, it doesn't no. seem to appear in my world either, but like, you know, when you have it, you kind of are stuck with it for life. Well, look, Rory didn't win on Sunday um, at the Dubai Invitational. Uh, mm. 62 uh, in his opening round, Tommy Fleetwood with a bogey-free third round of 63 set up a final pairing for them. Uh, Rory, Rory, Rory with... A three putt from two feet and then pulling his drive into the water on 18 uh, made it very, very easy for Tommy uh, to bring home the win in Dubai. Um, not putting anything uh, against Tommy on that is just one hell of a great golf. I love Tommy Fleetwood. Well, it's funny love too. Him. Like Tommy's been in that position so many times, right? Where he's hit a bad shot on 18 and lost a, a championship, right? I mean, I specifically remember that the Canadian Open where Fleetwood had like a five wood into the par five two times in a row, you know, hit bad shots and just didn't win. And it was like he should have won. So, you know, sometimes you back your way into victory a little bit. But I mean, as far as Rory goes, like I'm not at all concerned. I think he, this is just what he is. And, you know, you miss every shot that you don't take and you're going to have to take the lumps because it's impossible to be perfect. You know, it's I think if anything, it's, yeah, if anything, it's a great sign for how good Rory's season is going to be and, you know, how good a shape his game's in. I mean, you miss a two-footer and three-putt. You know, if you miss a two-footer, most of the time you're hitting a two-footer pretty hard on the tour level. So, you're going to have a three or four or five-footer back. And I bet it's probably more common to three-putt a two-foot putt than to two-putt a two-foot putt on tour. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a real stat nerd out there who could find that because you're not laying a, a two-foot putt short right and tapping it in you're probably trying to bang it home and if you miss it there's going to be consequences i mean rory's going to be fine we don't need He's to feel good. bad for him yeah I, I don't know if you saw uh, any of the dp world tour stuff on social media but they've got the green room which is like uh it's basically sticking these players in a big big brother chair and uh which is great but i mean then they've got an AI voice asking the questions and like that. I'm done. I'm done. Those AI I, voices are just <laughs> doing my brain in. I think, I think the DP world tour does the best job of any major sporting organization on marketing their athletes. I really do. I think mm -hmm. it helps when you have Henrik Stenson historically and Tommy Fleetwood, who was going to be an actor if he didn't become a pro golfer. And you know, you, you have Terrell Hatton, and you have all these other guys that just are funny, right? And they're willing yeah. to ham it up for the camera. And they're willing to kind of, you know, play a little outside the boundaries, unlike the PGA Tour, which tends to be a lot more buttoned up. You get to see a lot more of their personalities. And, you know, I've always found the DP World Tour content, you know, on YouTube, whether they're in Dubai and they're hitting like, a driver off the Burj Khalifa to land on a green 500 yards away. Right. Or like, you know, hitting uh, a shot into the, into the uh, water or whatever, like they've always done some cool things and it just shows another side of the game, uh, yeah. the personality of the players with the game. So they yeah. might not always hit, you know, if you don't like the AI voice, it drives all of us crazy when we, you know, scroll on TikTok or Instagram and we hear the same AI generated voices, but they're trying. They'll do something fun next. If they miss this time, they'll they'll hit bullseye with the next. Yeah. Well, look. If it, if you don't find it entertaining, then there's the Eurovision Song Contest. I mean, <laughs> Europe, right. Europe's got it all, dude. Um, something else flying around on social media involving Rory McIlroy uh, came out of uh, Golf Digest. Shock horror. Um, it's 
probably one of the best posts they've posted in the last three years, but it was a list of course length yardages that you would need to play in order to feel like Rory McIlroy. Love it. Um, Because he hits the ball so far. And I've often wondered, you know, how different of a course am I playing with my 140 mile an hour-ish driver ball speed than some of the other guys that I regularly play with who hit the ball so much further than me. My average drive is 240 to 250 yards. The course length recommended for me to feel like Rory McIlroy is 5,589 yards long. (laughs) Uh, And the course length recommended for me to feel like an average PGA Tour player is 6,081 yards. Um, Remains 500-yard advantage. It's more than that. It's a 500-yard advantage, yeah. It's crazy. Well, no. We're talking 5,600 versus what? 7,500? No, I'm saying the difference between Rory and the average PGA Tour player is approximately a 500-yard gap. Oh, yes. Correct. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely wild. So what I thought we could do, shall we put together a quote-unquote feel-like-Rory-for-a-day round and talk about it where we pick a course that's – playable at 5,600 yards. <laughs> the Goblin. And yeah, I think it's got to be the Goblin. There's, uh, for anyone outside of uh, the Los Angeles or greater Los Angeles area, there's a magnificent golf course. It's one of my favorites. Uh, municipal golf course. It's a municipal golf course with the most exceptional green complexes and greens. Uh, it's called Los Robles Greens. Um it is the location of my first ever hole-in-one. Um, but from the whites, um, so two up from the tips, it is 5,600 yards. So we up for it. I mean, I would be up for it. It's really going to expose our wedge games and our putter. I'll tell you what. Hey, let's do it. Look, I, I think it's a good test because the green complexes, those greens are fast. The greens are pure. Um even though we'd be playing shorter, I hey, God, I want to feel like Rory for a day. Let's do it. Yeah, and we might be able to get Jeff Lamb and my friend Joshy Gons to maybe make some content around it. I think that'd be kind of fun. And, you know, they'd be crazy to, to spend four hours with us playing this short course just to indulge our Rory fantasy. But, hey, let's let's do it. 100%. 100%. <laughs> let's, 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 uh, let's get some guys involved. Let's see if we can do it before episode four. Okay, that sounds great. So we got two weeks to feel like Rory for a day. Okay. Um, and, you know, I haven't, I haven't really played this year yet, so uh, it gives me some time to get my game together. Um, but uh, there we go. We're going to feel like Rory for a day. That's Moving good. on, it's uh, it's been another big week in 2024 equipment releases, uh, even since the first episode. Um, there's a lot of new stuff coming out ahead of the PGA show, uh, in Orlando, which is next week, starting on the 23rd, um, Taylor made today, just today, which is what the 16th of January today, uh, announcing customized QI 10 drivers in a range of different colors, including the, uh, what's going to be hugely popular murdered QI 10, um, Edel have released a completely new line. Uh, of putters today. Um, what do you think of Edel? I think it's cool that they customize, you know, a putter fitting. I do a lot of putter fittings. Um, it's the most important part of the game and it's probably the part where technique matters the most, not technology. Um, I think, you know, when you're trying to fit someone into a putter and you have all these options, in order to extend the customization process by being able to customize the hosels and the weights and the alignment aids adds to the experience and potentially allows you to buy in deeper. And I think that's what Edel does a really good job of doing. Um, at the end of the day, it's a putter fitting process, you know, with modular components and, I think that's one of the unique factors that has kind of separated them in, in the putter world. 
Yeah, and they were the first to do it too. Uh, we've seen even roll follow suit after that. Yep. I mean, I, look, I know David Edel is not aligned with uh, Edel Putters anymore, but um, his philosophy still runs through um, and his ethos still runs through their entire line of putters. Um, if you, I, I would highly recommend watching David Edel's uh, series of videos on YouTube about his putting philosophy. They're hugely insightful, and the guy is uh, very, very uh, intelligent and knows knows a lot about uh, putting and putters and how the mind works and the eyes work, you know, when it comes to alignment lines. And, you know, if you're struggling with putting, um, you could learn a thing or two about what might what your preferences might be. I yeah. think I learned a hell of a lot from from those videos. Knowledge is power with short game and putting specifically. I think when you understand proper techniques on how to use a wedge, for instance, that's super important. And it's more of the understanding of how to use it is more important than just taking a lesson and hitting a bunch of balls because you know, if you're not capturing the mindset necessary to use the tool properly, you know, it's going to be really hard to find any consistency. And putting is the same, you know, sometimes it can be the most mindless thing. You know, you take a, a friend who's never played golf before to mini golf, they could be really good at it for that moment, right? But when you have to day in, day out, be able to putt exceptionally well and understand speed, break, slope, green, all of these different factors, you know, the, the more you can understand about how to think when using the tool to execute that shot, um, the better off you're likely going to be. And that's why, of course, like the more information you can get, as long as you're not completely overloading yourself and losing the plot, um, is meant, you know, going to help you. It's certainly going to at least help you with the building blocks. Yeah. And, and look, the, just quickly, the, the biggest takeaways for me on on David's, uh, I guess, philosophies um, is really how the head shape of a putter um, affects your aim. Um, just the shape of a putter, whether it be a blade, a mallet, you know, a, a rounded back, uh, and the alignment lines, uh, yep. one line, two lines, uh, whether the line, you know, the length of the line as well, like all how of those things, back. yeah, how far it goes back, all of those things have an impact on uh, on your aim to the target. And yep. uh, I, I don't think that's kind of really widely known amongst regular golfers. Yeah, and like, I mean, one basic fundamental about putter fitting is, you know, in my opinion, the most important part is finding the right length, okay? So if you don't have the right length every single day, you're going to set up to that putter just a little bit differently, which means you can go and practice every single day. And if you're practicing a different stroke or a different feel every single day, are you really practicing anything? You know, and like the right length of putter, as simple as it may sound, will just set you up in the most comfortable athletic posture to practice the same stroke day in, day out. And then, you know, you change the center of gravity on a putter a little bit, um, you know, the further back you go, you're going to experience a little less gearing. Okay. A little bit higher moment of inertia, which really just means you're going to retain ball speed when you miss hit the center of the putter, which is what you see most amateurs do all the time, myself included. And, you know, the putter fitting also has a lot to do with your eye dominance and where your understanding of that straight line is. You'd be amazed to see how much further off either left or right, every single player tends to calibrate what straight is right out of the, uh, the, the bat. And, yeah. you know, if you're one degree off from 10 feet, you're going to miss the putt. Um, so it's a really interesting, you know, dynamic that you just have to take into consideration. And again, the more you know, the, the easier you're going to be able to overcome some of those biases. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what percentage of plays do you think – get fit for putters? Uh, less than 10%. It's just mind-boggling. It really is. It's the most used club in the bag, and uh, it's the most important club in the bag, uh, I would say, apart from driver and, uh, well, alongside driver. Um, and it's the one that gets the least focus and attention uh, when it comes to it being right. 
But uh, anyway, moving along, Fujikura teasing a new shaft ahead of the PGA show. All we saw was a picture. Um, we don't even know what it is, so uh, we're gonna know. We're gonna know in next week's show what it is. It had a V on it. It did have a V on it. So, um, you know, what's? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Is it Velocore? We don't know. We don't know. Um, you build Kirklands today? I'm back. Yeah, no, I was just looking. I don't know why I put. I built a set of Kirklands today, right in the middle of a completely different section. But uh, uh, <clears throat> they're not really. Are they 2024 clubs, Kirklands? Uh, I think they were released in like November. Yeah. Well, uh, I would call them 2024 clubs. Yeah, they're 2024 clubs. So I, I built mean, a set of Kirklands today. Yeah. Um, first time I'd seen them. Um, for those of you who don't know Kirkland, they are the Costco line of uh, of irons. Um, what was the verdict? And, well, for a four hundred ninety nine dollars set of irons, um, they're pretty on pretty in line with what I would have expected from a four hundred ninety nine dollars set of irons. Look, the build tolerances weren't great. The chrome was pretty trashy compared to some of the other, you know, uh, the OEMs, right? But you know, I'm sure they're going to sell like hotcakes. They were selling for three times as much on eBay right after they got released and yeah. subsequently went out of stock. So people have bought them. I haven't seen them. They're not in left-handed. I probably won't be able to hit one uh, other than turning it around. And uh, interesting to hear your perspective on it. I got a couple of friends and clients who have them, but they'd been traveling and weren't able to bring it in to this point. I'd like to see them. You know, brings me to my other thought where I've had uh, a half-baked idea for a long time. You know, I, I look at the periodic table and I see FE for iron and I'm thinking, hmm, what if they made a set of clubs known as Ferrier clubs? Okay, so FE being the periodic table uh, name for iron, they're not inferior, they're Ferrier, they're good enough. And I think you could sell them for cheap enough to get them in the hands of as many newer golfers and players who just play for, you know, shits and giggles. I'd love to see that. If there's any listeners out there willing to back that venture, um, I'll do whatever I can for a small ownership stake. <laughs> always pushing, dude. You're always pushing for mm -hmm. Um, Well, look, what, what uh, new equipment has landed at TruSpec? I popped in to see you, um, this week. So I've seen them, but I want you to tell me. Yeah. So we got all the new drivers, uh, the ping 430 10k, which looks very much like last year's, which looked very much like the year before, which looked very much like the year before, which looked like the original. Um, it's awesome. The, the AI smoke really, for me, I was most impressed by that one. As far as look, uh, the Cobra is really cool. I mean, it's like this, this bat mobile black and uh, all of the product, um, you know, characteristics that they've been working on for the last few years with Aerojet and LTD and, and, you know, the F nine, even like all of these have rolled up into what's definitely their best product. Um, and it looks so cool, like regardless of how you feel or, 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 you know, have brand loyalty or, disloyalty to, to Cobra. Like, I mean, they crushed it with these products. And then, you know, TaylorMade has built the best version of a carbon face driver to date by, by far. Um, the feel for me, you know, I've always struggled since they really incorporated twist face on feeling the center of the club, but despite not really feel, feeling like I struck any of my shots well with it. The numbers were just as good as my Titleist, which is still at the top of the food chain for me as far as feel, looks, uh, spin rate, ball speed, everything is just crushing with them uh, as usual. Um, and I look forward to whatever comes next for them because I truly feel like, I mean, that could be the greatest driver of all time uh, prior to whatever this new era is going to look like, right, with the new golf ball coming out which I talked about very slightly last week. But, um, <laughs> you know, the fairway woods, I mean, look, at the end of the day, the thing, the main takeaway that I've found is all of these clubs 
are so much more stable when you miss the center of the club, um, the center of the face. You just don't see the darty, you know, gear effect hooks. Um, you're still going to be required to deliver the club face square. You better believe that. But when you miss hit it with a square club face, the ball still flies in a really comfortable flight. It tends to get to its apex height that you're expecting. Um, and it doesn't create nearly as much side spin from my early returns. And this is every brand, you know, 10 K MOI was kind of the, um, the whole selling point this year. And that's the one thing that I think I've really found. I mean, you can give, you know, to draw it back to Fujikura, you can give them some credit. Ventus really helped, you know, limit some gear effect because of just how stable that tip section was with the VelaCore technology and that material there. And it's almost like all the drivers have that VelaCore in them already, almost to, to use an analogy there, because when you're miss hitting that club, it doesn't feel like it's opening or closing. And, you know, I had, I had posted on Instagram and my story about that video TaylorMade did about the, the QI in the slow-mo when they had Scotty Scheffler and Nelly Corda hitting it way off the toe and comparing it to some of the you know, last drivers, how much less gear effect and gearing you had is, is really the, you know, the, the, the big advantage of getting into a driver this year. Every year is a good year to buy a driver. Obviously, I sell drivers for a living, but um, there's no question that like if you haven't bought a driver in the last three years, like this is very clearly a bump up in in just the level of um, of stability on an off center hit. And yeah. you know, you alluded to putters being the most important drivers right there with it. I mean, driver is your offense, right? It's what allows you to play offense. If you're missing fairways or not hitting the good drives off the tee, you're constantly playing defense and trying to save pars or try and save bogeys. And the driver can give you that next level. It's absolutely the most important club to get fitted for and get and buy a custom fitted club, in my opinion. And, um, you know, the drivers are so good this year that if you have a driver from three years or older, it's time for sure. Gotcha. No, I've still got a few years left. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, new Mizuno irons too. Those are, those are really nice. I sold a set of two, four threes today. They look really nice. Um, yeah, yeah. the reviews, uh, that I've seen have been so good that I am now considering a combo set of two four one two four fives two four fives are big just be aware they're they're yeah. a large uh club head yeah. yeah 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 i'll have to test them first but yeah, uh, sure. and i was blown away by the um by the cobra dark speed like that it's thing sick had a few extra miles an hour ball speed yeah it's it's uh, it's sick like cobra has traditionally tested the best for me numbers wise it's not always giving me the look and feel that i want but um I mean, it's, it's really good. I finally got a chance to hit the LS in left-handed today. And it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Like it's a great club. Like it's so much fun to play and and they have titanium three wood and five wood this year as well. They might even have the seven wood out in the titanium face, which is like half the price of pings LST, uh, titanium fairway wood, a little bit less expensive than TaylorMade's fairway, uh, you know, uh, QI 10 plus. Um, so yeah, like some cool products from Cobra this year. Give them, give them their flowers. And fire in the hole. That was uh, one hell of a loud driver. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, Bring your plugs. Yeah, it's got some decibels. Um, Titleist announced some new balls for 2024. On the uh, the more affordable side of things, uh, the uh, the Field ball, um, $24.99 for a dozen is pretty damn good. Um, mm. Just on ball selection – um briefly uh sh- what should the process be putting short game irons driver or reverse yeah look two-thirds of your shots take place inside 100 yards maybe more right depending on how good or bad your short game is and uh you have to fit the ball to the short game okay like a lot of amateurs will make the mistake of putting a low spin golf ball you know because hey it goes eight yards farther off the tee right it roll, rolls out a little bit further well if the ball doesn't react on a chip or pitch shot the way that your mind's expecting it to react because it's a low spin golf ball, then chances are you're not going to get the ball close to the hole and you're immediately going to start shooting higher scores. And, you know, sometimes like 
honestly, some players are okay with that. They just want to hit bombs, right? But every pro that I've been aware of tests golf balls around the green inside 40, 50, 60 yards, moves into their shorter irons. And then once they've really locked down the golf ball that feels right, so there's hard, there's soft golf balls, spins right, there's high spin, there's low spin, there's medium spin golf balls, there's different feels, dimple patterns, all these things. Once they've figured out the golf ball that they feel most comfortable with in the scoring area around the green, they will then fit the driver to that golf ball, right? And that's what pretty much all of the tour pros have followed as a process. And that's what every amateur who's serious about playing better golf should also do. I agree with you. I mean, the ball's got to fit the spin window and it's got to yeah. feel right greenside. Um, you know, they'll, they'll all essentially do what you want them to do off the tee. Uh, that's my little hot take. Um, but, uh, yeah, let's move on from equipment. I, I think we've covered most of it. There's going to be a hell of a lot more next week. Uh, once the PGA show in Orlando gets underway. Um, what are your 2024 golf goals? Mr. Sean Fagan. Every year the goal is to shoot par or maybe better still waiting Game's definitely in the best position it's ever been in. I think, you know, from a physical standpoint, uh, you know, I'm definitely gotten a lot stronger, a lot more balanced. My swing it feels much more turn-based instead of throw the club at the ball and hit it, which has definitely increased my consistency day in, day out. I think mentally, I've just learned so much since, you know, kind of working in the golf industry over the last five years and having it be a full-time, you know, immersive experience where my technique is as good as it's been, my swing is as good as it's been, my mindset has been as good as it's been, my putting has gotten great. And it's just a matter of putting it all together. And, you know, even a couple of days ago, I played and I hit nine greens on the first nine holes, which I don't remember the last time I ever did that. I was hitting the driver really well and um, you know, it was even through nine holes, which for me is, is really good. 36. That's, that's excellent. And, uh, I topped my tee shot on the par five tenth and made a double bogey. And then I hit another bad tee shot and made another double bogey, lo- lost that golf ball. And then, um, I hit a, another not great tee shot and had to punch out and couldn't make my par putt and ended up shooting plus six for 18. And I was plus five from 10 to 12. So, you know, I think that's uh, honestly just a, a sign that it's in there and you just can't lose focus and you have to continue working through that process. I think if I had gotten through 10, um, it could have been really fun coming down the stretch. So, you know, I'm just taking the positives away from that. But more than anything, you're trying to get better in every aspect, right? Like I'm not really focused on anything in particular because I feel like I've seen enough returns that what I'm doing is correct. And now it's just a matter of being in that moment, not feeling like an imposter when you're close to par or under it and just executing the game plan and trusting it. Yeah. I am, uh, my, my biggest goal is, uh, I don't know whether you would call it a goal. Like I want to eliminate score, par, anything from being in my, my view. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I don't want to think about 72 or par. I want to just go about what I'm doing and improve each shot. And it's all mental for me, mm-hmm. but not compounding mistakes, executing parts and just following the process. Like that's bec- unfortunately becoming a huge cliche, but it is so damn hard to go from uh, a 2.2, which I am now back to a scratch. Um, I would love to do that, but to be honest with you, I would just prefer to shoot lower scores through and have them be realized through just process. This mm-hmm. year. You know, like, one cool way to, yeah, but one cool way to keep score that can help you with that, that I came across over the last year or so is just take a scorecard and write down how many good shots you hit, right. And just score mm-hmm. how many good shots you hit over 18 holes um, try not to worry about the actual score, but like how many shots did you hit the way that you wanted to hit them? Or how many putts did you hit at the right speed? Or how did you execute each of those shots? And each time that you kind of match up what you expected to do, 
and actually did it, you know, just count that as a one and see how many you can get to. I did that once or twice last year. I think it got to like 47 or so. And I, I think I, of course, shot probably 81, you know, but it was fun. It was a good way to kind of separate the outcome, you know, and, and stick more to the process. And, you know, the higher you can get your your score, um, the scores are going to improve the more good shots you hit, right? So, like, that's a cool way to kind of flip the the math on its head. Quick rapid fire question before we get into rapid fire. Would you rather have uh, a really good tee to green go low round or would you do you like a good scramble? I uh, have lived in a world where I've hit the ball terrible for decades, literally, and earned every last par putt from five feet that I've made in my in my life. And I would much rather hit the ball well and score terrible all day than hit the ball terrible and score well i love a good scramble (laughs) it's exhausting i'm i'm so tired of doing living that way it's fun like i love the grind that's why we do it but i'd rather hit the ball in the center and just walk off the course and be like man i didn't score well at all uh because you know every time you hit the low toe of a club which i do pretty much 80 percent of the time that vibration that rolls off the shaft and into your hands uh, leaves a little emotional scar. And when you do it for decades straight, um, you know, it it doesn't make you feel great. And that's something that I, I always am looking forward to finally curing. I believe in you. Thank you. What is the one thing in your bag that you would swap out? I'm going into rapid fire questions here. Uh, my 60 degree is still open for interpretation. I'm playing a, a Vokey Wedgework 6006 K grind, really fat sole. It's just a really one dimensional golf club. It gets me out of the bunkers. Um, you know, in the past I've played other sixties that had a little bit more versatility. This is really a one trick pony and I might consider changing that out this year. Um, I'll upgrade, you know, the TaylorMade three wood and seven wood to the QI Max, the one without the adapter, uh, with the DI seven X uh, shaft in that. But I, my bag is really nice right now, so I don't know if I want to change too much. How about yourself? I've done it. Okay. I've uh, the Toulon Las Vegas is back in the bag, baby. In the Vegas, the even roll is out of the bag, replaced with Old Faithful, the Toulon Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um. Special mention to new driver shafts. Mm. It's happening this year. Okay. Driver and fairway shafts. Right. We're, we're making the change to, to Ventus? Yeah, we're making the change to Ventus. But we're going to talk about that more next week. Next week, you're going to get a, a little bit more of a background on uh, on the two of us. Um, if, if you're willing. Again, we've talked way too much. Uh, we're running out of time. So um, we're going to go straight to the rapid fire. Let's alternate. I'm going to fire first. Are you ready? Uh, yes, sir. What is your hidden gem golf course in and around Los Angeles? I mean, Olivas Links, if that's considered a hidden gem, is it? Yeah. Olivas, I think, is the best public golf course. All right. Your turn. All right. So I want to know what your favorite par three is in los angeles i'm gonna go with eight at rancho park Mm. okay uh golf course or as we call it rancho park country club (laughs) in the shadow of nakatomi plaza which uh leads me to another question for you uh what film backdrop or shoot location in la do you drive past often or see all the time and just go yeah and what does it bring back a memory (sighs) I mean, I drive through like where they filmed Entourage all the time, right? And I used, I watched Entourage four or five times, you know, it's like the perfect male toxic masculinity 20s TV show, right? Where it just captures all of the hopes and dreams of the 20 something year old, you know, American. I drive through like, you know, South Beverly all the time and I see those locales all the time. So I'd probably say that, I mean, but no city photographs better than LA in any movie. I'm going to agree with that. Yeah, for it's sure. It's got to be Nakatomi Plaza for me. Die hard. Mm-hmm. It has to be. I drive up to it every single day on Olympic and it's pretty funny. Yeah. All right. Fire away. Um, 
If you had to play one brand of golf club from driver to putter, which brand would you play? Has to be Titleist. Has to be Titleist. Has to as be. As much as I want to say Mizuno, it has to be Titleist. All right. Um, another hidden gem. What is your hidden gem restaurant in Los Angeles? Mm, um, Locando Portofino, which is on Montana in Santa Monica, uh, on 11th and Montana. That is the ultimate hidden gem. Uh, it is a fabulous Italian restaurant. I'm going to check that out. I have to. I got to try their bolognese. Spaghetti bolognese is the first port of call for any Italian restaurant. If it's not good, it's uh, it's out. Ask um, for Zoran, the server. He is the best, the all-time goat. Wow. This is getting more interesting by the second. All right. Fire away. Give me one. What's your hidden gem restaurant in LA? See, I knew you were going to give me a question that I just couldn't answer. <laughs> um, Pache, is that a hidden gem? Never oh, heard okay. of Pache. Good. I need to there get around. Gem. Yeah. Italian. Perfect. Last rapid fire question. One week later, do you believe the jellyfish UFO in Iraq is real? Yes or no? <laughs> I just, um, and again, not to get too deep or shadow banned on YouTube, um, I just think it's very likely that the earth is really old and the human story is a blink in the eye of how long earth has been around. And I think it's very possible that, you know, something has been here a lot longer than we have. Love it. That wasn't a yes or no, but and and look. So is that a yes that the uh, the jellyfish is real? The well, I mean, it was tracked by FLIR as a real thing. I mean, that's not really up for debate, is it? No, no, it's not. I want to see the rest of the footage, and then look, I'll be all in or all out. I don't know, man. It might be better off that we don't know. It could be better off that we just don't know. We can live our stupid lives and play golf and enjoy it. Uh, I don't know. I want to know, though. I want to know. Yeah, you got to know. You got to know. All right. You're in charge of the last rapid fire. Okay. Um, If you couldn't play golf, what other sport would you play? Tennis. It's that a good was answer. a pretty lame response. No, it's a good answer. I don't know if I'd play tennis. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I, you have I think to find I a buddy. Just, I think I'd probably just get out and, and run and exercise. I, don't I know would, if I would not be doing that. Tennis is tough because you need someone at your level or a little bit better or a little bit worse to have mm. the same schedule as you. And that's way harder than just playing golf, you know, yeah. but it's a great way to stay mentally sharp for sure. I used to play a lot of tennis as a kid, but I haven't touched a racket in some time. My actual response was going to be mini golf. <laughs> you ever see I those old videos? The old videos of that was. guy with the hat making the putt and then like swagger walking. It's so funny. <laughs> I'd be the guy taking his uh, tool on Las Vegas to the to the mini golf course. That's funny. Um, once again, that was episode two of Imposter Syndrome. A big thank you to my co-host, Sean Fagan. We still don't know where he sits with the aliens, really, do we? I don't know. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever your listening platform is. Please like, subscribe, and rate the show. This is, I can't iterate that enough. Give us some smashes, thumbs up, likes, shares. Just tell your mom, for God's sake. You know, we need it. We need it. Uh, <laughs> Everything will help us grow is what we're saying. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Imposter Golf Pod and on YouTube at Imposter Golf Pod. If you have any questions at all, send us a DM on Insta um, at Imposter Golf Pod. But until next time, folks, drive for show, putt for dove.